Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. So this is what is known as the Ask Me Anything or Ask Us Anything Q&A. No holds barred. Um, try and make it interesting. So um, maybe this is an opportunity to ask questions that you wouldn't normally ask in main session. Um, maybe things that aren't directly related to strategic planning, to marketing campaigns, to the content we've been covering. But equally, feel free to go into those things if you wish. Who would like to kick us off with the first question? Ah, we've got we've got a lot of options here. This is good. Normally, it's like pulling teeth. Um, Ian, we'll come to you first. What's your best tips to make sure you're not going late into the night and you're more focused on work rather than the family life? Well, I'm not focused on work yeah, rather than the family yeah. life, yeah. Few things. First of all, having someone that is responsible for your time that isn't you is a good start. Maybe a virtual assistant, <laughs> Chloe. Um, or, in my case, a personal slash executive assistant who runs my diary, who knows the parameters with which she can organize my time. So she knows that there are no meetings, nothing to be booked in each day before 9.30. There's nothing to be booked in each day after 6. She knows the days of the week where I have to be picking up my son from football training and has to arrange everything around that. So I think if you know that you're not the greatest at organizing your time, then don't try and organize your own time would be my advice. But I think the great news is you get to decide. You get to decide what the parameters are. There's no rule. The second thing, I think it's a lot easier to separate your role as a business owner, entrepreneur from family life when you've got a physical different location. So if you've got an office, um, even like back in, when would it have been, like 2011, 12, the office was a building at the bottom of my garden, which was affectionately known as the shed. Well, it was a building, but it had wood panelling on the outside and it did have a bit of an insect infestation. So it definitely had shed characteristics. But having a physical different location, even that, even me having to leave the house, walk to the bottom of the garden to work and then walk back to the house when I'd finished, separated the two. Now, generally speaking, I do have the odd day, maybe a day every other week where I work at home exclusively. I've got an office at home. So I can do that. But generally speaking, when I get home from the office, I am at home and not doing work-related stuff. I'd love to say that that's true 100% of the time and I never break it. That would be a lie. But it, it's, it helps keep those two worlds separate. And I think, you know, depending on what your family dynamic, family setup is, for me, having the discussion and an agreement with my wife, Nat, about what she needs from me and when and vice versa helps. Things like this evening, you know, it is 25 to 8 and I'm still here. So she knew a couple of weeks ago that I would not be home 
tonight until probably 9.30 because Claire, my assistant, communicates with her and lets her know well in advance. They've actually got a shared calendar, a shared diary. So Claire books things in and Nat can see what I'm doing and when. And by the way, that wasn't always the case. We used to have, let's say, enthusiastic discussions <laughs> fairly regularly about my lack of communication around like I've got to be at a dinner with clients tonight or we're doing something with the team so I can't pick tie up from football training or whatever it might be. So I think having somebody else own it, having separate physical location, even if it's with, within the home, it helps. Yeah, those would be my key I, points. I once had a road to Damascus epiphany once when I was driving back one night and I heard myself say to my wife, I have to do this. I've done that a million times. It just all of a sudden I realised that what I was actually saying was, you can't control this because I'm out of control. Mm. And I changed my language deliberately to, I want to do this. So I'm going to work tonight because I want to do this. Yeah. And every now and again, I wasn't allowed to. But know that everything you do is a choice. Mm. You are choosing it. I am choosing to be here tonight with you. Now, I'm happy to make that choice. But the fact is, I don't absolutely have to. I'm choosing it. Yeah. If something outside of my control had happened that was more important than being here tonight, as much as I love you all, I wouldn't have been here. No, I'd have excused myself, you'd have understood, it'd have been fine. So I'm choosing to be here. And anything you are doing at any point, day in, day out, in your business, in your life, you're choosing it. So I think that's a worthy reminder. Good question. Tim, yes. Hi, Nick. For the people in stage two, business growth, if there was one thing or one piece of advice you'd give them on marketing, what would it be? Invest as aggressively as you possibly can. So I was very bad at managing money when I was in that stage of growth. And that poor money management meant that I couldn't invest as aggressively as I would have liked. At the time, actually, I didn't really want to invest aggressively in marketing. As I just said, everything's a choice. With hindsight, we would have grown much more quickly had I been able to invest more aggressively in marketing. Uh, you know, I didn't spend a single penny on marketing for years. It was all organic. It was all time, my time, developing relationships, networking, etc. And my advice would be to invest as aggressively as you possibly can. And of course, you've got to manage the cash flow and ensure that you don't overstretch once you know your numbers, though, it becomes much easier to do that. Once you know, if I spend next on marketing, I generate Y number of leads, I get this many sales, the average client's worth this much to me over this period of time, you can then just work out the numbers. It's then just basic maths. Even if cash is tight and you feel like you can't afford to invest as aggressively in marketing as you'd like to, if you know your data and your numbers, let me put it this way. Let's say, for argument's sake, you knew with certainty that if you invest 20 grand in marketing, you're going to get 50 back in the next 90 days, but you haven't got 20 grand, what are you going to do? Find 20 grand. You're going to find 20 grand. You're going to borrow 20 grand, even at an aggressive interest rate. It's still going to be worth it because you're going to get a 50 grand return on a 20 grand investment. So it's worth doing, assuming that you're certain about your numbers. Cool. Robin, you. you had a question. Yeah. What inspired you to set up Expert Empire's events? And in your wildest dreams, where do you see them going? Good question. Two questions in one. So um, what inspired me to start the Expert Empires events? So 
the concept for expert empires existed before expert empires existed. So I had the concept before I had the name. My previous business, we'd run some pretty big events. Um, and I'll be honest, the way those events were run certainly isn't in alignment with our values now. So what inspired me to create these types of events was a desire to run the best events in the UK for businesses that were aligned with our values. The concept was created in kind of 2016, and we ran the first one in May 2017. Um, but actually, the, the name Expert Empires wasn't created until the last minute before the marketing started for the event. Um, I remember sharing the concept with my then team. There was, I think, four of the people and me. And we were like, great, so what are we going to call the event? And we had a load of ideas and discussed who preferred what and why. And we just couldn't seem to land on something that we all liked. And I came up with Expert Empires, but I didn't really love it either. And they all didn't like it much. And then over, uh, we had a meeting on the Friday and over the weekend, I wanted to start the marketing. Uh, and bear in mind, I only had a little team. So I was still building the web pages and writing the copy. So literally over the weekend, I built a web page, wrote some copy, and started promoting it under the name of Expert Empires. And then on Monday, even though none of the team agreed that it was a good name, it was too late because we'd already started promoting it. Um, and, and it's weird now for me to think back because I wasn't convinced that Expert Empires was a particularly great name or brand, but I went, look, what I do know is if I delay and procrastinate and dither and debate this any longer, we're going to lose marketing time and therefore you know we're going to end up risking the success of the event so i just made the decision and i think there's probably a lesson in that as well that sometimes making a decision any decision is better than not making a decision at all and by the way you can always change it because you're always in choice mm. so you make the decision and in six months time if it had turned out to be crap and i'd thought of something better guess what it's my business. I can create another event brand and launch that. And by the way, there's been plenty of bad brands or product names that I've created in the past that don't exist anymore and you don't even know about and you haven't heard of. So I think in that case, just making the decision was better than not making it. And the rest is history, I guess. In terms of where do I see it going in more oldest streams, you know what? Um, where it is now is pretty bloody amazing. But, but it depends what your measurement of success is for that. So if it's numbers of people that attend our events, I'll be honest, we're probably nowhere near as far forward as I would have thought we would be at this point. In terms of how our wider business has evolved, we're, it's far beyond my wildest dreams. Like crazy. When I think about when I first started my first business in 2008, my wildest dream was £100,000 a year. And then the next wildest dream was a million pounds a year. And here we are, many multiples of that. And I'm going, how'd that happen? I couldn't have dreamt that when I started. And you know, now, the bit that I battle with, and I have to remind myself constantly, is that bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. And you know, we've just come off the back of, our last Expert Empires event was end of March, beginning of April, a few months ago. It was a shade over 300 people. I think we sold just under 400 tickets. We had a shade over 300 people there. And I can 
hand on heart say it's the best event I've ever run. And we've run much bigger events than that. So bigger doesn't always mean better. Um, and actually, I can only give you my, my current answer, my current thinking. I'd love to get the Expert Empires events to a point where we can consistently have a thousand attendees. I feel like if we were to go beyond that, it would lose the essence of what it actually is because we wouldn't be able to do the things we do that make it special. And I've been to events that have been 5,000 and 10,000 people and they're great, but they're not expert empires. Maybe there'll be another event brand that we create in the future that could scale at five and 10,000 and create a great experience. But I think for what we are about now, I don't want to wreck it by trying to go too big. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. And by the way, you know, that doesn't mean we can't run more of them. So we're running a couple of year right now in the UK, but there's nothing to stop us. We've had initial discussions about doing expert empires in Dubai, and we've got key partners in the States that we could explore doing the, uh, expert empires over there. So we could do, I'm aware that my team are in the room, um, and they're going to shit themselves. Um, we could do one a month in different locations all over the world. We need a much bigger team, I know, I know. Um, but we could do one a month in different locations all over the world. No reason why we couldn't. You know, we do two a year in the UK. Why don't you do two a year in Australia, two a year in America? So ultimately, all of that is possible. Um, so probably that's where more of my thinking is, rather than how do we get 5,000 or 10,000 people in one event, it's like, well, how do we impact more people with the same quality of experience that we're already creating? Brilliant. Cool. Thanks, yep. Robin. Good question. Felix. Have you come across people who have joined and realised they're not in alignment and we're going to have, it's not going to work? Has that happened? Team members? With it? Or no, clients? Yeah, clients. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And look, you don't have to get along with everyone. Have we had clients that I, we don't gel with? Yes. I think in that case, you've just got to be honest with each other and say, hey, this is not working for whatever reason. So you're quite happy to do that? Yeah, you go, look, this ain't yeah. working. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's been uh, not many, but a small number of people that we've had to politely ask to leave. There's other people that have elected to leave of their own accord. Generally speaking, I think in most cases, it's salvageable if the person is open, okay. if they practice self-awareness and humility as one of our core values. You go, look, if you're open, you practice self-awareness and humility, you go, hey, look, this is not working and here's the reason, and they just completely disagree and aren't open to change, we've got a problem. If they go, right, I'm here because I want to get better in business and as a human being, I want to be developed, I want to improve, then you know, that level of humility I can work with. Okay. Like, I, I don't have to agree with everyone that we work with or like everyone that we work with even. I prefer it if I do. But as long as someone's open and willing to listen and take on feedback, then we're all good. If somebody's and I'm talking about our programs in particular, but it would be the same for any of you with clients that you work with. If somebody's joining one of my programs only to question and disagree with everything that they're given or told, then I can't help them. And they'll be asked politely, but they will be asked to leave. Yeah, okay. It's probably just an increased level of self-awareness. Right. You didn't realise before that you didn't gel with those people. Mm. 
and now you become more self-aware, you've developed, you've, you've improved your mindset, your self-awareness means that you're now more, you're more tuned into that. Yeah, maybe. and what you want out of yeah. it. Yeah. The clearer you become on your core values, the more you will observe and see traits in other people that you that's don't. Where, that's where my conversation came from, yeah. right in those last night, and realising, yeah. is that where my differences were? Because yeah. I hadn't gone down that road before. Yeah. To me, part of humility is accepting other people and their flaws because guess what? We all have them. And so if you want other people to accept your flaws, you've got to be willing to do the same. Okay. If you can operate from a place of non-judgment, I do believe that everyone is doing the best they can with what they've got. I was I was listening to um, Stephen Bartlett's <laughs> podcast. You know, he shares on his podcast that he's got a, a challenging relationship with his mum, and he says, but what I've realised is that if I had to live the life she's lived, if I was raised in, I think, Nigeria, if I'd come to the UK speaking barely any English with a young family, if I'd been a victim of racism as a a young mother, if I'd had to deal with this, 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 and this, then you know what? I'd probably be a bit fucking bitter as well. So I think that, for me, that mindset, it, it creates real empathy. And I was thinking about, you know, people in my life, people in my family, like my dad in particular, and I'm like, he does not live life the way that I live life. And, you know, we get on and, and we do spend a bit of time together, but we live very, very different lives. And I go, you know what? If I'd lived the life he's lived, then I'd probably be a bit like him as well. Mm. And so we're only really the product of our upbringing, our environment. Obviously, you know, certain traits of our personalities are genetic, I believe. But I think when you come from that place, you go, oh, I don't like that person. I don't gel with them. You go, okay, find out about that person and what their background is. And it might give you an insight as to why they are like they are. As, As my, our coach says, if you don't like someone, it just means that you don't know them well enough. Okay. Fair? Yeah. And some people are just pricks. <laughs> hey, real quick. If you've been listening to the Empire Builders podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I do not run ads on this podcast. And what you should also know about me is that I only partner with companies who I absolutely 100% believe in. And so I'm making an exception because of my partnership and my loyalty to Keep. So since 2010, I've been using Keep, which was previously known as Infusionsoft, to automate all the sales and marketing in my business, deliver world-class experience to my clients, run e-commerce reports, manage affiliates, partners, and loads more. I really believe that Keep is the best CRM on the planet for small businesses, for entrepreneurs that are building their empire. Many of my guests on this podcast use it, and pretty much all of my closest friends in the industry also use it. That should speak volumes. So uh, Infusionsoft recently rebranded to keep k-e-a-p and what they've also done is brilliantly made it even more affordable even more usable for 
businesses that are at different stages of their journey. So go and get a free demo. All you need to do is go to keep.com, that's K-E-A-P, keep.com forward slash empire builders. And by using that link, I've negotiated the best possible deal for Empire Builders subscribers. So go to keep.com forward slash Empire Builders. You get a free demo, and when you go through that unique link, it means you'll get the best possible deal because you're a subscriber of this podcast. So let's get back to the show. My question is, is it realistic for me to believe that using your different phases that someone can do phase one, two, three, or within the exact amount of years, phase one, first year, phase two, second year, phase three, third year. And if so, what would it take to do that? Great question, thank you. Not everyone is capable of building a seven-figure business. The challenge is, I don't know who is and who isn't. I can get a sense, which comes from experience, but the fact is not everyone is capable of building a seven-figure business because some of what it takes in order to build a seven-figure business, many people aren't prepared or willing to do those things. The risks that are required are great. The sacrifices that are required are great. The decisions that need to be made are tough. And not everyone has that, and that's okay. And not everyone wants to, so that's okay as well. What's interesting is it starts to become clear as you embark on the journey whether A, you want to, and B, you've got what it takes. Um, but let's not make it good, bad, right, wrong if you do or don't, because there are plenty of people running businesses that bring in 100, 200 grand a year who are insanely happy, and there are plenty of people that are running multi-million pound businesses that are fucking miserable. And so for me, the goal shouldn't really be how much revenue do I bring in, Albeit, of course, you know, what you're here for is how do we start, build, grow, scale. The goal should really be how do I build a business that makes the impact and the income that I want and makes me happy? That's what the real goal should be. So is it possible for someone to go from phase one, zero to 100K in a year? Yes. Is it possible for that same person to go from 100 grand a year to 500 grand a year in year two? Yes. Is it possible for someone to go to a million in year three? Yes. Is it possible for someone to go to three, four, five million in year four? Yeah, it's all possible. Of course it is, because it's been done before and it will be done again. Should everyone do it? No. Will everyone do it? Definitely not. Even though we talk about starting, building, growing, scaling businesses and generating more and more revenue and making more and more impact, the fact is that a lot of that won't actually make you any happier. And I've certainly had times where I've been like, when I've had more money in the bank than ever in my life and I've been miserable. And I've had times where actually things have been really, really tight and I've been happier than ever. And that's easy to say when you've had that experience and it's impossible to understand when you haven't. Because I remember I used to hear people say that, I'd be like, oh, you're full of shit. You're only saying that because you're rich now. Yeah. But that's been my experience. And I'm sure those listening to this Many of you have had the experience and can certainly attest to what I've just said. But is it possible? Yes. Is it possible for everyone? No. Do I know who it's likely to happen for and not? No. But you can get a sense based on 
Um, a lot of it comes down to personality style. And, you know, it's more difficult to build a, a big business, multi-seven-figure business, because of the team that's required to do that. It's really difficult to do that if you're not the sort of person who naturally takes control, leads, makes decisions. It's more difficult. If you're the sort of person that likes to take lots of time over every single decision, it's going to be more difficult for you. It's just going to, or, or at least it's going to take a lot longer. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Good question. Thanks, Keith. Who's next? Go on, Tom. So you, you showed us um, the book funnel earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so have you written a book? Nope. Are you going to? Nope. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Can, can you elaborate on that? So um, I haven't written a book because I've never really felt compelled to. And there are plenty of other ways that work really well for me, for us to market our business. So I don't feel I need to. Now, if I wanted to, I would. And if I felt I really needed to, I probably would. But neither of those things are present and true for me right now. That said, at some point in the future, I'm joking when I say, will I? No. At some point in the future, maybe that'll change. At some point in the future, maybe I'll want to. Maybe at some point in the future, I'll feel that that's what the business requires, that I need to do it. But as, is, as I sit here today, I don't particularly want or need to. Mm. Um, so, you know, Matt, my business partner, has written a book called Open the Close. We've co-created another book, um, which I've really contributed to. I wouldn't say I've written the book. He's written the book. I've contributed some thoughts in it. And I think he's got another book that he would like to write because he wants to do it. So, you know, do I think everybody should write a book? No. Do I think everyone needs to write a book if you're going to build a successful expert business? No. I think there are plenty of ways to market yourself, to build your authority. You've got to remember, ultimately, what's the purpose of you writing a book if you're running an expert business? Probably twofold. One, to build profile and increase your authority. Two, to generate leads. Well, I can do those two things without writing a book. My primary vehicle for doing those two things is the events we run. And I love doing that. So I go, I'd much rather do something that I want to do and serves the outcomes of the business than something I don't want to do just because I think it will serve the outcome of the business. Mm. That's the reason. Also, I don't read books. So that in itself probably just means that I'm not that inclined mm. to do so. I listen to a lot of audio books. And that, that's why um, you, hunt, you hunt the, the podcast yeah. that suits you. You're more audible. Well, and by the way, um, I'm recording a podcast episode now while we're talking. Mm. So I can repurpose what I'm already doing to create a podcast episode. Whereas, could I repurpose some of the stuff that I've done to write a book? Yeah. But would it be as good as I would want it to be? Probably not. The irony is I'm quite good at writing. Hence, you know, how I started off in business yeah. as a copywriter. I'm quite good at writing, but I, I've probably written so many words over the years that like, I'm sure everyone's got a word quota that they can write in their life. And I've probably used that quota. Maybe I haven't used my words verbally quota yet, which is scary, actually. Good okay. question. Interesting. Who's next? Mike. Just a, a quick question, Nick. Talking about podcasts, talking about confidence, do you re-record your stuff so you don't have mistakes or are you quite happy with mistakes? I am one walking, talking mistake. I thought so. Thanks. No, no, no. <laughs> that, that, was, that was your cue to go, no, no, Nick, you're amazing, you're perfect. No, no, 
Here's the reason though, personal opinion, I'm not saying this is fact. I personally think if something's too polished, yeah. then it actually loses a bit of the essence of the message you're trying to get across. Mm -hmm. I'd prefer something to be a little bit raw and uncut. First of all, it means that the message comes across in the spirit it was intended and authentically. And secondly, I feel like if you make it too polished and perfect, it actually gives a false expectation from people. Yep. Like if you listen to the podcast and it was word perfect, no ums and ahs, um, polished, and then you came to one of my events, you'd be very disappointed, quite frankly. Um, and also, you know, I want the work that I do, the content that I create, the podcast, video footage, our events to serve as an example and hopefully inspire other people to do big things and do the same. And if, if mine looks perfect and you don't think you can match that standard, then you're never going to get started. Mm -hmm. I'd rather people see. Um, look, there's a lot of speakers that are brilliant and they're very polished and calculated. And I tried to be like that at the start and I realized actually I, I'm, I don't enjoy it and I'm not very good at it. So, you know, my style has always been very conversational, laid back. Um, and, you know, that's where, that's my sweet spot. That's where I like to be. Um, and I think that's where our audience likes me to be as well. And I think for everybody else who's thinking of creating video content, starting a podcast, running events, whatever it is, done is better than perfect. And you're never going to make it perfect. When I look back at my early video footage, those of you that have joined Mastermind inside the vault, there's some absolute belting footage of some of my early events. Um, before my hair went gray, I was very, very skinny, even skinnier than I am now. And in terms of my abilities as a presenter, as a speaker, like it's embarrassing, but the content's fairly good. But like everyone's gonna have their version of that. If you watch footage of Tony Robbins 20 years ago, it ain't gonna be as good as it is now. But it was pretty good 20 years ago. It was good enough. And I think, yeah, you know, I'll probably feel the same about my career as a speaker and, and the things that I've done. Yeah, you know, my early video footage, horrendous. <laughs> yeah, Ad remembers, so he's laughing. You know, some of the stuff, embarrassing. But you know what? It was it was good at the time. And what I'm doing now is good at the time. And what I'll be doing in 10 years will be good at the time. It will be better than it is now because we're all a work in progress. Last one or two questions. Um, with you mentioning Ad and everything, I just wanted to check how the two of you, what's the story of how you two came together? That's not that exciting, actually. Um, <laughs> well, you tell your version, then I'll tell my version. <laughs> Essentially, I contacted Nick. We, we, we went to the same school. I'm a couple of years older. Um, he was in my brother's year. So we've known each other for quite some time, members of the same golf club and similar or same circle of friends. One of my best friends back in the day I went traveling with was actually Nick's housemate at uni. So we knew each other, albeit we'd see each other out occasionally, but weren't friends. And then I essentially, I needed a job when I was about, well, it was like 11 years ago. So I was 31 and I knew that Nick had his own business. And so I just contacted him on Facebook and sent him a message and just going, yeah, I could do some work. Um, have you got anything, essentially? And then that was it. I went and met up, 
and there was a few just 10 pound task stuff basically needed to offload the 10 pound task like we spoke about earlier and that's all i did to begin with i was um writing envelopes i was holding the flip cam whilst we're doing videos um, before you before you had a video camera on your phone yeah yeah absolutely. flip cam Remember yeah those? um and just doing all the sort of 10 pound task stuff that nick needed to offload so we could focus on other stuff and that that's how it began really and then it sort of over time developed a skill set myself and started working with clients more and yeah now the marketing that's how i tell it yeah that's pretty good pretty accurate um obviously don't want to trade on what you're going to share tomorrow so yeah i think that's a, a good summary and i think what's what's cool for me is i go from that facebook message 11 years ago when ad was like i need some work have you got anything and i palmed a few 10 pound tasks off to him you know now i'm palming a thousand pound tasks off to him and he deals with them phenomenally well and I couldn't do, we couldn't do what we do without Ad as our head of marketing and a key part of our leadership team. And so, you know, his development, you know, and, and of course I've developed and the team have developed, but his development has been, you know, great to be a part of. And, you know, that's why our company purpose is we develop people. Last question, who's going to go for it and make it a good one? Go on, Steve. Based on your unique Tony Robbins upbringing, mm. and as I'm a father of a 15-year-old and you've got children yourself, what do you think the best path is to get our children into entrepreneurship and that mindset to allow them to live the lives they want to live on their terms? Great question. I'll answer it first as a child, what worked for me, and then secondly, as a parent, what I think works for my kids, and they might disagree. But what worked for me was my mum, first of all, became the example. So she was in a corporate career, not happy, not healthy, and she changed her life and became a different person um, and became a better mum and, like, was inspiring. And then when she goes, hey, I'm going to this Tony Robbins seminar in Hawaii, do you want to come? I'm like, yeah, like this is, I've seen the impact firsthand. If she'd have gone, which is by the way, what most people do, either with their kids or friends or family members that they want to, you know, you do it with the best intentions, is like you try and force them to do something they don't want to do. Hmm. How well does that normally work? Not very. So I think, first of all, be the example. So you can't push someone to change or encourage them to walk a path that you haven't really walked yourself. And I think a lot of people think they've walked the path, but they haven't. That'd be my first thing. Just so, before you go on to that, sorry. Yeah. It's just something that encapsulates that, which is another Jeffism, which is inspire, don't require. Yeah. That's something that he says all the time. Yeah. And that's very much... Exactly what you just said. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and of course, we have that philosophy with our team. It's like you inspire them to do more and be more. You don't demand or require this is what you have to do because it's your job. You're going to get a very different experience, a different result. So that worked for me. Um, and by the way, I think that's good advice. If it's your 15-year-old son, daughter, son. son, if he's 15-year-old son or your fully grown sister or brother or your 
old mum or dad or whatever, whoever it is you're trying to um, influence, inspire rather than require. So I, I take that same approach with my kids. I'm like, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my best to be the example um, and then hopefully create a desire in them to want to explore alternative education, to look at how they can be better people, et cetera, et cetera. And occasionally I'll give them a nudge and push something their way as an opportunity that maybe a lot of other kids don't have. So, for example, um, there's a, a guy in our six-figure mastermind. He's called Tom Owens, and he runs a program called Mindset Academy, and it's for kids between the age of 9 and 13, well, which is perfect because my kids are 9 and 13. Um, so when Tom and I first met, which was um, a year or so ago, um, and he told me about this Mindset Academy, my youngest was only 7 or 8 then, so he wasn't old enough, but I went to my oldest, who was 11, 12 at the time, and I said, hey, like, I've just met this guy, he's become a client, he runs a thing called Mindset Academy, like, what do you think? I'm happy to pay for it, put you through it, but don't do it if you don't want to. What do you think? Now, bear in mind, you know, my son's like a typical 11 or 12-year-old, goes on Instagram, follows the guy, because that's how they learn everything now and how they, how they find out about people, and watch some of his videos. Tom's main business is actually a football coaching business. So my son, Zach, sees a video of Tom working with West Ham left back, what's his name? Cresswell, Richard Cresswell, Richard Cresswell? Aaron Cresswell, Aaron Cresswell. Sees a video of him coaching Aaron Cresswell, all of a sudden Tom Owens is God. He's like the coolest guy in the world, way cooler than me. So he's like, yeah, dad, we'd love to do Mindset Academy. So obviously I've put the opportunity in front of him, he wouldn't have known it yeah. existed. He wouldn't have found it himself. But I think a combination of inspire versus require, and then putting things in front of them that they can choose to say yes to, like my mum did with me. She asked me if I wanted to go to a Tony Robbins seminar, and I said yes. So I think it's a combination of those things. Okay. What you can't do, and it's so hard to accept, is you can't force it. Yeah. In fact, um, this is not necessarily going to be easy to hear, Steve, but if it feels like it needs to be forced, then you haven't done a good enough job of inspiring versus requiring. And so all it means, it's feedback that you need to up your game even more, that you need to be even more of the example of what's possible in order to inspire. Mm -hmm. So that way it causes you to look at yourself and what you could do better rather than the, your son yeah. or the family member or friend and what they're not doing that they should be doing in your opinion. I was sharing this at um, dinner with Mike. Like my son is 13. He wants to be a professional footballer. I'm never going to tell him he can't because that's not in my makeup. And he's talented. But look, I mean, I'm not exactly built like an elite athlete. So he's up against it. He needs to train harder, get fitter, get faster to have a chance. I'm training more now than I've ever done in my entire life. I'm fitter, faster, stronger than I've ever been because I want to inspire rather than require. And then when I say to him, like I did on Sunday, hey, you want to go for a run? I'm going, and it's whether or not he wants to come with me. And look, please don't be under any illusions. I'm not parent of the year. I'm never going to be dad of the year. But, you know, I think when you take the philosophy of inspire versus require and you present the opportunities, you've got to put it in front of them 
then I think you've got a, a pretty good chance. Thank you. I think that's a great note to finish on. Great question. Thanks for asking. Um, thank you, everyone, for uh, sticking it out. I hope you've been... Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.